Well, amen. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians as we, you know, we took a couple weeks, a couple week break of during Christmas and looking forward to getting back in our exposition of working through Paul's letter to the local church in Corinth. And we do that intentionally, just relax, go ahead and get settled in. We're not going to read. We've got a, a lot to get through today, and it's connect, they're all connected. And so chapters 8 is connected with chapter 9. Chapter 9 is connected to chapter 10. Remember, this is a letter. Uh, one of the gifts I got for Christmas this year was uh, a Bible. Uh, it's a set, and it's put in order. And they, they've taken all the chapters and the verses out of it. And it's just been a joy to read the Bible as it was originally written. No breaks, no verses, just a story and just hear a letter to God's church. So I want to pray for us, but we got a couple things to celebrate as we, and I wanted to celebrate with you. Our Lottie Moon total ended up to be $6,785 that will go directly toward our missionaries on the field. And today with the context of the letter, that which is assumed to be true in God's word, that is that we support those who labor in the gospel, that's good. That's something to celebrate. Not only we were a part of that, but Southern, all Southern Baptist churches are. So celebrate that. Also, this year we have added to our growth solutions, which is what we're going to use to go from here over to there. And as the Lord provides, we've added $3,341 to that. So that's $23,310 that we have towards that. So God provides, and we want to celebrate that as we gather around his word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we wanted to take just a moment and give you grateful thanksgiving that you have provided so well for us, both individually and collectively, and you allowed us to participate in global missions through Lottie Moon, and we thank you that you have supplied so generously and your people have given so generously. Thank you, because all we have comes from you, and now, Lord... Center us around your word. There is a lesson, a message for us today as Paul speaks to this church. This message is just as relevant today as it was then. Give us wisdom now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This was our declaration of independence from tyranny. We then established our constitution. Then we have the Bill of Rights, right? I can list some of them. We're Southerners, I'm sure, many of us. And whether you are or not, you, if you like the right to bear arms, you like that right. The right to free speech and on and on it goes. My point is this. We as Americans are hardwired to live as freedom and rights as our guiding principles in our life. We're hardwired for it. I'm not throwing rocks at that this morning. I'm asking you to start this morning. Let's think about the fact whether we think as guiding principles in our actual lives as Americans primarily or as Christians primarily. Because there is a preeminence in Scripture. If not, how do we go to the nations? As Americans? 
was Christians. It's interesting as we look at our history that freedom has been precious to us. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was precious to us. And at times, it was obvious that it was our highest good and love was not. For would we have founded a country and then slaughtered the Indians and enslaved the Africans if love was our highest principle and not freedom? You see, this is what chapter 8 taught us, I hope. You can have some right ideas and hurt people with them. We have done it as Americans and we have done it as individual Christians oftentimes to each other. The main idea today with the gospel of Jesus Christ as our priority, we place no obstacle in the way of others. He's exampling today what he's already said. Remember, there was what what they would call the mature and the weak. The mature understood the character of God and understood idolatry and said, we can eat what we want to eat. Our conscience is clear so we can go to the temple. We can participate in that because idols don't mean anything to me and God means everything. Sounds pretty good, right? The weak used to be, they used to worship at the pagan temples and they didn't even like to walk down the same side of the street as it. And so when they would see the mature in their eating in the temple, they would stumble. That's chapter 8. We see that in verses in chapter 8. If you want to look back, just review. Verse 9 of chapter 8 says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest my brother stumbles. And we said it's not about eating meat. This is about living in light of, that, of another person within the community of faith. And in chapter 9, we have used it for all kinds of things, but oftentimes we miss the context. The context of chapter 9 as we enter it is life together in the local church. We can't miss that this morning or we'll miss Paul's message. Paul gives us an example this morning of his rights as an apostle that he then makes the point that he's willing to sacrifice those rights for the gospel's sake in each other's life. He does this to drive home his point, to teach the mature in chapter 10, that they may not be as mature as they think they are. So let's just get into it. Paul's status, he points this out. Verses 1 to 3, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are my seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse 3, this is my defense to those who examine me. Now some people say Paul is primarily defending his apostleship here. You've got to look at the whole section here. I want you to notice when you read... All the rhetorical questions, one after another. Rhetorical, rhetorical. What is he doing? He's making an argument. He's asking these questions because there is an obvious answer. That's what we do when we ask a rhetorical question with just a tweak of sarcasm. You should know this, right? 
It's a pretty good teaching technique that many of us use. Paul is not primarily defending his apostleship. Listen, he is presuming it in the Corinthian church. Saying, you know this, don't you? I'm just as free as you mature people are. Am I not? I'm an apostle. He gives us a couple of proofs there. He says, you see it? I have seen the Lord. But what is his primary proof of his apostleship? The church. Saying you are. There's no debate over that. Acts 16, the Corinthian church would not be there if it wasn't for Paul. Paul planted it. Paul was still laboring to see that the church was strengthened and established and was growing. That's what he's writing these letters for. He said, you yourself, verse 3, are my defense. It's a forensic term. You can evaluate who I am by looking at the church. Just so we are reminded, Ephesians 2.20 reminds us of this. The church is, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Paul's making a point. Because of my apostolic authority, I have rights. I have rights. And that right is to be supported. He doesn't stop with the rhetorical questions in verse 4. You see it? Just keeps asking them. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Do you see what his principal right is? He said, you know this is to be true. And he's going to beat this horse to death to start with to make sure they understand this for for his point. He has the right, this is the principle of life, (laughs) to be rewarded for his labor. That's the simple point. We understand it. That's why it's assumed to be true. Look back at chapter 8, verse 9, just so I want you to connect the rights of the church, of the mature, and his rights. Look at chapter 8, verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does some not somehow not become a stumbling block. That's what he's exampling for. He's saying, you mature feels like you have the right and you're going to exercise your right because your conscience is clear. I have a right too. I have a right to be paid as someone who labors in the gospel. Clearly, to be supported by the local church, it is clear here we know that Peter was married. And what he is saying here, that if me and Barnabas wanted to be married and bring our lives along like Peter does, the church, the local church, should support us just like it does them. Paul's illustration here is one that everybody understood. It was a job, occupations of the day. It would be like a, a banker or a, somebody works in a hospital or whatever, whatever your jobs that you would, and he'd use that as an illustration here to illustrate his example of the principle who serves as a soldier, verse 7, at his own expense. Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit Or who tends to flock without getting some of its milk? You see, he's still asking what? Those rhetorical questions. It's obvious answers. So this is the, you answer me. I'm not, this is not rhetorical. Does any soldier serve at his own expense? No. 
Man's going out and fighting for his country. He don't have to go out and get a job. Right? Do, do farmers eat from their own produce? Of course they do. Is it okay for shepherds to drink some of the milk from their own flock? You see, all of them are fed by their occupation. And if it's true of them, it's true of the pastors and the missionaries. That's, that, that's his very clear point. This is logical to start with. But it's also scriptural. Look at, look at verses 8 to 10. He said the Old Testament teaches this principle. Verse 8, do I, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle, muzzle, muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? There's a question, there's a question again. He's quoting Deuteronomy 25 verse 4 when he, does, when he says this. He says, this is not primarily, he's asking a, almost a little bit of a sarcastic question. Is is that in the Bible because God has an intense care for the oxen? Reminded me of Matthew 6, 26. It says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your fa heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? He's saying that that was placed in the Old Testament. Because the person who labors has hope of sharing in the crop. That's the principle from old to new. Look at verse 11. I love this. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? He's making this point. That you have produced a spiritual harvest in your life because... We have labored in the gospel with you and on your behalf. And knowledge and faith and hope and the fruits of the Spirit have infinite value in your life. Is it too much that you would provide food and sustenance for us? It's making a pretty convincing argument that that was his right. You think you have the right? Because you have a clear conscience to go in the temple and eat what you want and exercise that right. Well, we have the right to be paid. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Don't we? The, the conclusion is, of course you do. So let me just say this because this is not the primary point. This is just an example. I have heard church members and praise the Lord. We don't have this problem here. Can I say that again? We don't have this problem here. Praise the Lord. But many places do. I have heard people say about their pastor, we like to keep our pastor humble. We like to keep our pastor honest. What is this teaching us today? Scripture teaches us that they're simply not treating their pastor the way they themselves want to be treated. Therefore, it is sin. This is there's an obvious conclusion to this. Men who labor in the word have the right to be supported by the local church. There's a lot of tensions. There's a lot of abuses. There's a lot of, okay, well, what about this? What about that? It's not the point. It's not the point. So if you're, if, you're, if you're really money conscious right now, don't get stuck here. This is an example. 
The conclusion is assumed and the argument is backed up in Scripture. We simply must say amen and move on. Paul's given us an example and he's did it for a point. This is not assumed and his argument breaks down. It is. It's known. Now Paul lays out the second part of his argument. Paul's sacrifice. Look at how he brings it together in verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, they did. Do we not even more? Nevertheless, you see that? There's the second part of his argument. If you don't grab the first one, you're going to miss the second one. We have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than putting up an obstacle the way of the gospel of Christ. I love this word. You see the word endure? It means to put up with. To put up with something that is unpleasant or difficult. In other words, for Paul to work for his own sustenance, for his own care, is difficult and unpleasant. And that's only one illustration. This word obstacle is very unusual. It's only here in the New Testament. It's an immaterial hindrance, an immaterial obstacle. It is a metaphorical tree over the road of your spiritual walk. That's what he's saying. The, the reason that I have not made use of that which I am rightfully due is that I don't want to drop a tree down in the pathway of anybody's life. The gospel is that important to me. That's his next step. We have the right. Argument one, we do not make use of our right to. <laughs> At the same time, I love Paul. He, he does this circular spiral thing. He comes back, verse 13, look what he says. Do you not know that those who are employed in temple service get their fruit from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering. He's going back to the sacrificial system and saying, You know good and well that the, that the priesthood is taken care of through the sacrifices that you sacrifice to the Lord. They are sustained by it. He goes on to say in verse 14, This is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ taught. In the same way the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. What is he talking about there? Most people believe it's Matthew 10, 9 and 10. is in Luke as well. When he sent out the 12, you remember to evangelize, and he, later he sent out the 72. He says in Matthew 10, 9 and 10, that the laborer deserves his food. Remember he told him to go out, don't take your money back with you, don't take an extra pair of shoes, don't take an extra jacket. God's people will provide for you. And if they don't, shake the dust off your shoes and leave. And it'll be more tolerable for those in Sodom and Gomorrah for them. Paul's climax, though. I just love this in the, in the original language. You miss a little bit of it in verse 15 because we can't read Greek. Listen to verse 15. And I'll, then I'll tell you how passionate. This is... The climax of Paul. Paul is emotional as he writes this. But I have not made use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. This is where he gets passionate. For I would rather die 
than anyone deprive me of my ground of boasting. He's, he moves his language into the first person singular for his emphasis. And this is in the perfect tense. This means I am doing this now and this is the way it's going to be. He said, I'm not giving you this example to shame slap you into in supporting me. Matter of fact, if you send it, I'm not taking it. Listen to what he says. He uses an incomplete sentence because he's so emotional. He, sa- he literally says this. I would rather die than stop. Then he has this. He said, I would rather die than no one will deprive me of this boast. That's what the literal Greek language says. He stops it in mid-sentence. And he said, no one's going to rob me of this boast in Christ. You see, they had the same problem we do. And we don't have this problem at Battleground. Praise the Lord. Listen, we're, I want you to stay at the end. We're going to vote for our leadership team. This is important. We have plurality in leadership in our deacons and our elders. And no, they are not the same office. We do that to protect God's people and God's church. Because not every church is so well protected. This was the problem here, you see. People who had money could simply support their favorite pastor. They always said, Southern Baptists vote with what? Pocketbook. They don't like what you're doing. They'll just close up their pocketbook and go home. Paul's saying, there will be no power plays with me. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I have given up that right. Because I don't want anybody to be able to say, he did what he did because I gave to him. Paul's under compulsion. Look at verse 16 and 17. Paul's under compulsion. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. You say, well, why not, Paul? For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You see what he's saying? I don't, I'm not a pastor because I'm paid. I'm a pastor because God has called me to do it. Woe to me if I don't be a pastor. That's what he's saying. I have to preach the gospel. Jesus told me, I have saved you to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I have been commissioned. Therefore, I am a steward and I will do it. That's what he's saying. I don't do it because I'm paid. I have given up that right though I deserve it. So the gospel might be preeminent. I'm a steward entrusted with something. So listen. Paul's just not laboring for an eternal reward. And we're getting to that. He is. There is a temporal reward here. Do you see it? A temporal reward. He says, let's just read it. Verse 18. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make to my full right in the gospel. Paul gets a reward simply from doing and enjoying that which God has called him to do and seeing God work through it. That's his own reward. Do you know what God has called you to do? Because I'm telling you, it is in that that you see the pleasure of God in your life. No matter what it costs you. That's what Paul is saying. I have the right 
I had the right just as much as you, but I did not exercise that right because I didn't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. You see, that's Paul's priority. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. Remember, we ask ourselves, is our life governing principle the prosperity of my own life, the upholding of my own freedoms and my own growth and my own... For Paul... The principle of his guiding principles of his life is that more be one for Jesus Christ, period. Everything else is secondary. This is the secret, brothers and sisters, of life together. This is the secret of marriage, of family, of evangelism, of community. Paul has already said in chapter 7 and verse 23 that because we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, we are the slaves of no one. That means we do not live in the fear of man. We are not bound by the will of man, but by the will of God. That's what he, that's what he taught us there. And now he comes back. Nevertheless, I have made myself a slave of all. A slave of all, listen, in a particular way. In a particular sense, in a gospel sense, in order to win them. I might win. Very important word. Question. Is this primarily his context that it was originally written? Is the primary context conversion or growth? Conversion of those that are lost or the growth of those within the local church? What is the primary context based off chapter 8? The wonderful things about principles, we talked about this last night. A principle is so wonderful. I wish I had a small piece of paper. The principle is so wonderful because God's principles can be placed in your pocket. And you could be in any particular situation, and this principle is based off his character. And you can pull off that principle and use it to make decisions in your life. He's teaching us principles, but this principle has a primary context. Paul wants to win. That's good news for us competitive person. Paul wants to win. No, no. Not everybody gets a trophy. You ever seen the soccer team? Okay, I've seen them. We've seen them on our team. There's a little kid out in the middle of the field. And you don't know why they're there. I guess their mama wants them there or something. But, you know, game's going on. Bogey's going, pay attention, pay attention. The ball's coming. And they're going, there's a rock right there. Rock, 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 rock. <laughs> you know, and then the ball hits them and can't figure out what's happening. And yet at the end of the season, they get a trophy. Paul's concerned about winning. Winning is important. But it's important to know what the game is and what the goal is. This is the context. Now listen to this. The primary context is Paul's worried about that weak person. That is stumbling because that mature person thinks he just needs to get over it. To that problem, he writes this, verse 20. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. What does he mean? Primarily, there's three groups here. Do you see them? Gentiles, Jews, and the weak. Let me just say this. You know it's true. If you've been married longer than two weeks, you know this is true. Life together is not easy. You see, this is the issue. You had Jews and Gentiles who are getting saved, coming into the same family. They don't wear the same clothes. They don't celebrate the same holidays. They don't eat the same things. They don't have the same religious traditions. And their families don't practice the same things in each other's life. And all of a sudden, you're coming over to my house for growth group. By the way, just so we're clear about our vision from this church. Brothers and sisters, we have made a grave mistake in the body of Christ because we have segregated the church and we have separated our children and our students and even have services for old people. We do not segregate. The beauty of the church is our diversity. That's that's the truth, brothers and sisters. And yet, pardon my English, it ain't easy. Right? Right? 25 years ago, a Yankee from New Jersey married a hillbilly from West Gastonia. And that sounds really cute until we had to start living with each other. I got a little hint for you. I'm not always the easiest person to live with. She's not either. Newsflash, neither are you. You see... Paul cared so much for the Jews. Absolutely this has to do with conversion. And he did this when he converted. We can see many examples of it. He is concerned, brothers and sisters, by how we are doing life together, either for the good or for the bad. Of course it's easier to do life together if we never spend any time together. You want to know why we started growth groups in your homes. It is because you need to do life together. Jews, he cared so much for the Jews that when he went over to their homes and he was part of their lives, they cared about how they washed their hands. And so he cared about that. He expected to eat broiled fish when he went over to a Jewish home. And he enjoyed it. He enjoyed the barbecue when he went over to the Gentiles' home too. Right? You see that these are not issues in the new covenant of salvation. It shouldn't be a barrier. Let me give you an example. Let's say a young person comes to faith in Christ. They're really passionate about the environment. This is a real, this is a real illustration, by the way. You need to listen. They're really passionate about the environment. And they see most of the church as hypocritical because they don't seem to care at all about the environment, though they say God created it and made us stewards of it. And, and yet when you're discipling them, what does he have on his arm right here? By the way, getting a little bit more movement here. See it? He's got a picture of a turtle on his arm. So what's up with that? So you get to talking. Come to find out the dude really is passionate about sea turtles. Don't want people to kill them. Let me ask you something. Have you thought about sea turtles in the last year? 
Probably not. I haven't. It's just an illustration. could be anything. But listen, he comes up and this comes up in conversation. He just came back from the coast. And they made this shroud around this group of sea turtles because the contractor was going to step on them and they wanted to make sure that they got where they needed to get and so they laid their lives down for the sea turtles. Can I ask you a question? Is this an issue of salvation? Should we say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Don't you know they're killing babies? Right? That's what, that's what a good evangelical would do, wouldn't it? Don't you know? This is what Paul was saying. When I'm discipling someone who cares about sea turtles, I care about the sea turtles. That's what he's saying. We would say to someone in that situation, we would affirm it. And we would use it for a gospel bridge to get to the gospel in it. And if you burn that bridge, you just cut off the gospel in their life. Do you see that? I'm teaching you something right there about normal conversational evangelism. Don't cut off the bridge. Build it. If they're doing something that you can affirm, affirm it. If it's not an issue of salvation, put up with it. For the sake of the gospel. That's what Paul's teaching us. He's teaching us how to do life together. Not just how to speak to a lost person. Paul says, I can be all things to all people. Why? Look at verse 23. I do it all. Why? For the sake of the gospel. I love this. That I may share with him his blessings. So I thought about that this morning. And come in here. Part of my little thing that I do after I study and get ready again in the morning. When I come in, I come in. I sit right here and I pray for you. I pray for us. I pray for this place. I begin to think about this verse. I could name you by name. And I could say, I have seen the growth of Jesus Christ in your life. And I have shared in it with you. And you can't pay anybody for that. That's what he's saying. For the sake of the gospel, I sacrifice what I need to sacrifice so that I may share with you in the blessings of Jesus Christ and His promises in our life. We get to experience it, and we get to experience it together. Ephesians 4. And He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Whatever we have to sacrifice. And whatever we have to pursue. We do it for the sake of the lost being saved. And the saved being brought to maturity in Christ. This brothers and sisters is our governing principle, the question we need to ask ourselves today, is it? What is your life governing principle? Because, but listen, if you don't have one, someone will give it to you. If you do not draw a line in the sand, someone will draw it for you. Your freedom, your rights, listen, your growth, some of us don't come to Wednesday equipped because we don't feel like we need it to grow. Brothers and sisters, this is not about you. 
This is maturity. What Paul is pushing the church for is to grow up in Christ. This is not about just your maturity. This is about somebody else's maturity. This is what it means to make disciples. I must be concerned so much about your growth. I'm willing to cut off things that I am rightfully due just so you grow. You grabbing that this morning? That's the message. Paul's trying to get the people to understand Are you living the way you live for the sake of the gospel? What does that mean? Am I living the way I'm living so that the lost might be saved and that the saved might grow to maturity lacking nothing? It's amazing how many good things fall away when we get our goal right. And we get the principles that we live by right. Paul's point this morning is clear. That he, so they, should be willing to sacrifice good things, rightful things, so that more people might be saved and more might grow in Christ. And so he he wants to make sure that we have that. So he uses something that's true in their life. Verses 24 to 27. The the Greco-Romans love athletics as much as we do in America. We love footballs getting started. Everybody's talking about football and athletes. You've got your favorite teams and your favorite quarterbacks. So they, they, were, they were no less that way. And so he used it as an illustration. Everybody runs. You're in a race. You are. He's saying only one person wins. Thought about this as playing games and You ought to see our family. Half of our family loves to play games. The other half can't stand games. Start playing board games. Everybody's going, I don't want to play. And people say, come on, let's play. You know, we did that over Christmas. Let's play. No one play. Let's play. But why why is it? I'm sitting there going, I don't want to learn all those rules. Oh, it just sounds so hard. Paul's concerned that we run the race. Paul's got a purpose, you see. His purpose is to do that which his king, his lord, his master has called him to do. And temporally, that has its own reward. It also has an eternal reward. So I just want you to see, based off the verses 24 to 27, just a few takeaways from a well-lived life, Paul's life. And he takes this off of Racing off of the race of games. There was a game that happened every two years in Corinth. Called the Isthmian Games. Most likely he's thinking about that. And the Olympic Games as well. He said we should live intentionally. Paul did what he did intentionally. We looked at that in Acts last week, didn't we? He had an intentional strategy. He was, they, the local church supported missionaries as they went out. Paul did what he did intentionally. Have you filled this out? Let's go 2020. We talked about this last week. Some out there. What am I trying to help us do by this? To live with intentionality. Well, we could all say we have the same purpose. 
that the Great Commission is our purpose. But are we intentionally making strategic plans to accomplish that purpose? Paul lived intentionally. He went where he went on purpose. I love verse 26. Look at verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. What is he saying? I can almost make a fist. What is he saying? I'm going to hit what I aim for. And I'm not going to swing at nothing. You ever heard somebody say, I'm a really good shot. They don't have a target they're shooting at. You're not a good shot. You don't have a target. You'd be shooting out in the woods. Do you hit what you're aiming for? That's what he's saying. I'm going to hit what I aim for. That's what I'm aiming for. To win more people for Jesus Christ. That is, listen. Make sure I explain that. I think I skipped that. That word means profitable. It means to live with intention. means I want my life to be profitable in yours. One day they're going to roll me up to the front in a box just like they're going to do you. And I want them to be able to say, Stephen's life was profitable for the kingdom of God in my life. Paul could say that. He lived with intention. He lived with precision. The Southern Baptist began Hoosier 1 to help you point, make a target to aim for it and to make intentional strategies to share the gospel with that person. That's what that's about, brothers and sisters. It's about being intentional and being precise. No, you don't go there to eat because the food is good. You go there because of that person that you're building a relationship with. Paul lived a disciplined life. Look at verse 25. He's using this, these race, these athletes. We know this to be true. I'm an old guy, so I like the Rocky movies. You remember the Rocky movies? He had to, he had to work and sacrifice and doing all these things. That one movie where he's out in the Arctic somewhere and he's knee-deep snow with a you know, railroad tie on his back. You know, that's what he's saying. Men in that day competed without clothes on. Because they didn't want anything to impede their performance. They denied themselves. Listen, this is his point. They denied themselves lawful pleasures. Athlete can eat anything he wants to eat. Someone who's health conscious can eat anything they want to eat. They willfully choose to not for the sake of something greater. That's what he's saying. We do what we do not to just stay busy. Not just because of our growth. We do what we do because we live in community with each other and we have a great commission to gather God's family together and to help us all grow to maturity in Christ. That's why you're here. And temporally it has its own reward. That's true. But Paul lived life in light of the next life. That's one of the greatest things we can learn from Paul. You see, the best a person can do that competed in those games is win a wreath that was dead in a week. Right? It's fleeting. All that training, you get the reward in a week, it's dead. Paul said, not for me. And not for you. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Peter understood this too. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Remember that declaration of independence. The end of it, this is what they said. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, capital P. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Have you studied your history? That's exactly what it cost them. They pledged it. That's what it cost. What does following Christ cost you? Your life. Your very life. The question today from this text is a very simple one. Are you willing to give up and pursue what needs to be done for the sake of the gospel growth in the lives of each other? It's my prayer that we will be able to end the way Paul ended in 2 Timothy that said, I fought the good fight and I have finished the race. Therefore, I have no doubt there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me. Brothers and sisters, let's run the race and listen. Let's run the race together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this good reminder that, Lord, when we were young, there were so many bad things that you had to break us from and so many bad habits and selfish tendencies and Lord you're still doing that but Lord you have done a a work in our life if we think 10 years from before and 20 years in the past and we're thinking I don't even know who that guy is and Lord we thank you for that and yet Lord you have told us today that our growth never stops and Lord this is true of my life and it's true of lives and everybody here there's good things in our lives and sometimes we have to decide what is better and what is best and how do we make the decision thank you Lord for the truth today that my brothers and sisters factor in to what I do and do not do and that is grace thank you you have sustained the Battleground Community Church to this point so that we may grow together. Oh Lord, there's still a lot of people in this small town that aren't worshiping you today. And God, we desire that you receive their worship. There's people in Boston that aren't worshiping you today. Some 97% of them aren't. There's people in Maine today. Some 97% of them, God, and they're not worshiping you today. What shall we do? Where shall we go? Here we are, Lord. Send us. Send us, God. Create a compulsion for us to go with the gospel to the nations, 
They cannot be quenched nor stopped. This is our prayer, God. This is our plea. This is your will for the church, for our life. So now, God, we thank you that you will answer it because it is your will. And so now, Lord, receive our worship through our mouths, through our giving, as we support the local church here. Then as we go with the gospel to our world, in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us and let's worship together.